And so, Steve, last week we started a new series on um, spiritual warfare and, and who is the devil and, and what does that mean uh, for our lives and kind of looking at evil and, and mostly focusing on Old Testament, a little bit of uh, Christian tradition and, and Old Testament scriptures. So, like like we always do, we need to move on to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, um, why don't we start with looking at Jesus, because that's how the New Testament starts, is Matthew, smart, Mark, smart idea. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And um, and, and just as a, as a jumping off point, I, I think it's always good, I mean, maybe this seems obvious, but like it's always good to ask a question of like, how does Jesus engage with the subject? Yeah. When, mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, there are going to be subjects, Jesus doesn't seem to have a policy on Facebook, or Jesus doesn't seem to have a policy on all sorts of things. But where we have a place where we have examples. Okay, well, how does Jesus engage with it? It's a good place to start. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've set the table for today. We want to talk about how does Jesus engage with the presence of evil and the person uh, that, that's, that gets named both devil and Satan. Those mm-hmm. are sort of synonymous figures eventually by the New Testament. Okay, wh- where do we go from here, Erica? So we have to begin at the beginning, okay. uh, which is always a good place to start. This is for Maria. <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll begin with... Um, Right after Jesus' baptism, mm-hmm. early on in the Gospels, um, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit sends him out into mm-hmm. the wilderness for 40 days in which he is tempted by Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call yeah. him. Yeah. And it's interesting, as we talked in our last episode about um, how Satan is a created being um, that can be used by God at times. Here's mm-hmm. another one of those times, like in the book of Job, where, where Satan's trying to tempt Job to, to curse God. Here sure. he's tempting the Son of God right. to curse God right. and, um, you know, make make him um, bow down to him, make yeah. him make bread out of stone, all these different things. Um, but so how does Jesus react to this temptation? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I'm so glad we're starting with this this story. It, it, the, the, the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil uh, shows up in... Uh, the three Gospels that are sometimes called the Synoptic Gospels, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark just gives it as like a one-sentence sort of a thing. Of, and after his baptism, immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by the devil for, for 40 days. And then um, Matthew and Luke give these more elaborate sort of stories with sort of three episodes. They, mm-hmm. they, the order is different. We could have a separate conversation someday about what each Matthew and Luke are trying to emphasize there. But um, at least I'll, I'll take the... the position that I have come to be most comfortable with or most convinced of in, in my years of spending time with the text. And that at the heart of those three stories, or those three episodes, is um, Satan trying to convince Jesus to be the Messiah without having to go to the cross. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the translation, sometimes our English translations say, the devil's words are, if you're the son of God. The, the Greek will bear the translation just as well, if not better. Okay, so you're the son of God, then do it this way. Then mm-hmm. make bread for everybody and you'll be a big hero. Or bow down to me, I'll give you all the kings of the world. Or do this mm-hmm. impressive stunt and everybody will see. And when the angels come and save you from any pain, you'll get to be the hero without any suffering at all. And then at every turn, Jesus, no, isn't, no, I'm not really the son of God. But no, I won't be the Son of God. I won't be the Savior. I won't be the Messiah your way. I won't do it that way. Mm-hmm. And that the the temptation stories have everything to do with how Jesus is the Savior, mm-hmm. how Jesus will be the Messiah. It, 
And in a way, I think similar to what Israel goes through in the wilderness stories in the Old Testament, that the the years in the wilderness there are meant to be uh, a refiner's fire experience, sort of a, a refining experience of how are you going to be God's chosen people, and are you going to try and do it the way of every other nation with wealth and power and putting your own trust in your own stuff, or will you learn to trust that God will give you what you need? So, mm-hmm. so much of what happens in the wilderness story with Jesus tempted in the wilderness for forty days is meant to be sort of a riff on or a completion of what. Israel does for 40 years. And in some sense, I've heard people say, the idea is that all of Israel gets winnowed down into this one person, so that Jesus becomes the one faithful remnant, so to speak. That Jesus is Israel embodied in this one life, and is, is called to be what Israel was always meant to be, the, the, the wandering people of Israel in, in the wilderness stories. And that there where Israel uh, fails in the Old Testament by giving in to the other gods or the other nations or trusting in themselves, whatever, what have you, um, that um, uh, Jesus succeeds, Jesus proves faithful. And that, again, this is part of how, in a way, this is part of what God's design is. That this is meant to be that crucible experience that gives Jesus the clarity of who am I, what am I supposed to do, how am I, how am I supposed to be the Savior in the world, and how will I save the world? Will it be uh, like a conquering king, like the world is expecting and used to, or will it be through the, the death of a cross, will it be suffering love? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, again, one of those moments where what... what the evil one intends to use for trying to derail Jesus becomes also the moment for the crucible of clarity and being clear about that I know who I am and where I'm supposed to be from now mm-hmm. on. But this isn't the only time that Satan tempts Jesus sure, in his ministry. Sure, sure. And um, th- even the, the the way Luke tells the temptation story, he intentionally leaves it hanging that way. At the end of the temptation story in Luke, uh, after the, the three, and the, the final one in Luke's gospel is the jumping off the temple one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, and the devil left Jesus for an opportune time. I mean, like that, that's the most nefarious, <laughs> like, dun-dun-dun, sort of a <laughs> moment in the gospels. Um and since all those temptations in, in Matthew and Luke start with, if you are the Son of God, dot, 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 if you are the Son mm-hmm. of God, dot, 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 um, it, sh- it should maybe uh, make our spider sense tingle when we get to the end of the gospel and on the cross, you hear the crowd saying, well, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. But that's exactly what's happening again, is that there is the power mm-hmm. of the devil showing up again saying, do this without a cross. Can't you just be the conquering mm-hmm. hero? Can't you just be the one who does wonders and miracles and everybody loves you? And the answer is no. At the heart of God's way of saving and redeeming the universe is suffering love that takes on death, not the easy path. Not the, I'll be the hero that everybody loves and pats on the back. Well, even before Jesus gets to the cross, you know, as he's telling the disciples about this, uh, you have Peter coming up to him and said, no, no, Jesus, Jesus, hold on, time out here. There's got to be another way. Yeah, no, yeah. no you're, you're, I'm not going to let you die on a cross like that. That's a criminal's death. I'm not going to let you do that. You know, the Old Testament scriptures say anybody who is you know hung on a tree is cursed. Like that's yeah. not okay. And then Satan says, "No, you need to get behind me." And he doesn't say Peter, but he calls him Satan. Yeah, and that's an interesting notion too. I mean, like, however, however, we think about the role of the presence of Satan in the in the world today. That story at the at the sort of turning point of the Gospels uh-huh. is really illustrative. That like, okay, in this instance, Peter's idea, I mean, Jesus just said to the disciples, I'm going to go to a cross, I'm going to lay down my life, this is how it's going to go. And Peter says, no, 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 far be, you know, that'll never happen, I'll never let it happen. And Jesus sees that impulse is demonic, is, is, uh-huh. is, 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 is evil, and is 
doesn't blush at all to say, get behind me, Satan. Uh, you're, you're thinking, you're setting your mind on human things, not divine things. Um, and yet the way Jesus treats Peter there, he doesn't treat him like he's possessed, like then perform an exorcism. Yeah. He, he said, no, that notion, that, that way of thinking, that whole train of thought, that logic is wrong-headed logic. It's evil, upside-down, anti-God, anti-Christ logic. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, that's not okay. And it's not like then he has to perform a spell or an incantation to get, but it's sort of... Get, your, get yourself together, man, that kind of a mm-hmm. moment. Um, and he recognizes that Peter's still in there. He's not, it's not like he starts talking with a weird voice or this is not the movie The Exorcist. It's, it's Peter talking, but his thinking has become aligned to that sort of anti-God way of thinking. Um, which means that so often in the, in the Bible where you get the presence of evil, um, there's this tension of the, the presence of evil is doing something, the demon, the the, the unclean spirits, however the, the, the gospel writers talk about it, mm-hmm. but also that people bear their own culpable responsibility for their actions, mm-hmm. too. Again, that's this tightrope act we have to walk if we're going to spend time with the scriptures the way they talk. The Bible doesn't sort of say, like in the old Philip Wilson show, you know, uh, the devil made me do it. Oh, well, I, I don't have any responsibility. Mm-hmm. The devil made me do it. But on the other hand, the Bible's willing to say that there are powers greater than ourselves that are absolutely able to nudge and whisper and, and mm-hmm. that are at work around us, and we'd be fools to pretend we're not there. Um, and at the same time, we're letting ourselves off the hook if we're like, well, it's not my fault, the devil made me do it. It's mm-hmm. not Peter's fault because Satan made it. No, Jesus doesn't treat it like, Peter, you're off the hook. It's, it's okay you thought that stupid thing. No, this is not okay, Peter. We've got to be clear. That's not the path for me. It's going to be the way of the cross. Mm-hmm. And I'm also thinking... Um, just shortly after that story, as Jesus is having in the Last Supper with his disciples, mm-hmm. um, you have that account where, you know, he, he talks about whoever dips their bread in, in the cup with me is going to betray me and, and all this talk. And then um, you, you you read in the Gospels and, and Satan entered Judas mm-hmm. and then Jesus told him, okay, Judas, go and do what you have to do. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're talking about not everything that we do that is um, evil or sinful is because of the devil. But how do we wrestle with this one then? Yeah, and and that's tough because um, uh, Jesus will Jesus doesn't let Judas off the hook by by the end of the the gospel narratives. It'll Jesus will say something like you know, woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Mm-hmm. Better for him as as if a great millstone were hung around his neck, or he'd been never been born. I mean, so Jesus doesn't. Uh, let Judas off the hook for what's about to happen. At the same time, Jesus seems to be well aware this is all part of how the story gets to the cross. And the gospel writers seem to be centered on, yep, the cross is, this is the way God rules the world, is in suffering love rather than Mm -hmm. uh, through domination and and power. Um, And so, Again, it's it's this weird um, the 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 Latin phrase the Felix culpa the happy fault the like somehow where something evil and wicked can be used and in this beautiful joyful unexpected way that in some ways has to remain mystery it has to be we don't we don't get to iron it out and say either it's human responsibility or mm-hmm. a spiritual being or something like that but it's a both end. and and like so many important things in the life of faith it's not an either or but uh, Judas bears responsibility for his choice. And there's also the presence of Satan in the midst of what's going on. And similarly for us as well. We bear responsibility for our mm-hmm. choices and our actions. And at the same time, we should be at least honest enough to say there are, even there are impersonal forces that are certainly at work on us all the time. So of course there could be the presence of personal forces as well. That If, if, if we recognize that there are other forces that have, uh, that, that have influence over us that aren't... Um, spiritual beings, and certainly there could also be the, the presence of, of personal beings or things like that that are uh, whispering or influencing as well, mm-hmm. and that it's a both-and. 
so as as we look at Jesus' encounter with Satan, not only in the wilderness and with Peter and, and Judas, but also, I mean, there, there are several encounters that Jesus has with the demonic mm-hmm. in individuals who aren't his disciples, who yeah. are just kind of people that he comes across along the road. Um, what can we learn about those interactions from Jesus and how he deals with the devil? Yeah. Well, so like I'm thinking... Early, early on in Mark's gospel, this is the one that comes to mind first, is this encounter. And, and again, the, the gospel writers seem comfortable just sort of leaving it, you know, there's an unclean spirit. Even though, yeah. like, they're not thinking, oh, in 20 centuries, this will seem like a weird way of talking. This is just, just how they talk. There's, there's a man of an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit approaches Jesus and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus, you know, rebukes and says, you know, come out of him. And, and you know, Jesus is always about liberation. So that mm-hmm. Jesus is always about the person who's oppressed, whether it's, uh, you know, the people who are in bondage to debt or the people who are in bondage to, to demons. There's this, uh, always this this presence of calling uh, people and setting people free. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Jesus has this way of silencing these evil, unclean spirits who recognize who he is, which is a whole other recurring theme throughout the Gospels, too. Yeah, I think it's just interesting as we look at how Jesus deals with these uh, demons, you know, there's never a lot of conversation. There's not this back and forth. There's not a power struggle. Mm -hmm. Jesus knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly who he's dealing with. Yeah. And they, and curiously enough, they all know who he is too. Yes. As the stories play out. And one of the other fun things to do as you're reading along, especially through Mark's gospel, is the sort of game of recognizing the ones and the characters who recognize who Jesus (laughs) is. Uh There's God's voice at the beginning, the, you know, at the baptism, and the demons all recognize Jesus. Mm -hmm. Blind people recognize (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Eventually the end enemy, the Roman centurion recognizes who Jesus is, and the religious people all along the way don't get it. Um, and again, there's this sort of, uh, there's, there's a line in, in uh, the book of James where it says, you know, the demons know, the, the, the demons believe that, you know, recognize that there's mm-hmm. God, and they shudder about it. That, that, that um, uh, faith in God isn't simply a matter of believing correct facts about God, yeah. uh, but it has something to do with being on uh, allegiance about that sort of like whether we'll be a part of God's work of justice and mercy or whether we're opposed to it. Um, and the demons recognize who Jesus mm-hmm. is. They just don't like it. <laughs> no, they don't like it at all. But um, they're very obedient once they start speaking. Right. You know, they come up to him and they make themselves known to him, which you know they don't really need to do. He's Jesus. He's aware that they're they're there. Right. And um, and while they they believe who he, you know they know who he is, mm-hmm. and um, they believe who he is, mm-hmm. you know. They are still very obedient to him, yeah. which, I, which I find is a great comfort when it comes to the idea of dealing with Satan and, and with evil. What, and again, I think I think it helps us to make sense of or rightly frame the way that the Jewish and Christian scriptures talk about engagement with evil in a way that's different from like almost every pop culture story we tell about good and evil. You know, in every other story, it's, you don't know who's going to win in the end. Is it going to be the good guys yeah. or the bad guys? Will the Empire or the Jedi win or something like that? And at no point in the narrative of the Gospels or the whole sweep of the Bible is there any question that ultimately this is God's universe, this is mm-hmm. God's victory. Um, and so there's never a point where Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to really have to save up my strength to battle. The-. Nope, it's, the battle's over. There's, not, there's never a battle. It's just simply Jesus with a word speaks and the, the powers of evil are scattered and destroyed. There's this great, great line in um, what I have come to think of as the Luther National Anthem, one of Luther's, uh, Martin Luther's uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Mm. Um, 
but there's this great, great line. The, the, uh, a mighty fortress is our God is one of those great hymns you have to sing all the way through. Because mm-hmm. the, if you only have the first verse, it ends with, and the devil is stronger than all of us, oh, heaven help us. Yes. Um, <laughs> and again, like, like the Star Spangled Banner, if you only sing the first verse, you're like, I don't know, is the flag still there or not? <laughs> um, the, 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 a mighty fortress it starts with, man, there's all these powers arrayed against us. And by the time you get to the end of the third verse, Jesus has emerged as our uh, triumphing, uh, victorious one who's fighting along our side. And at the end of the verse, it goes, one little word subdues them. That, it, that Jesus doesn't have to get out a sword and go hacking at bad guys. Jesus speaks a word and pff, the, the, the battle's over before it's begun, which, which draws on biblical imagery. Even when we get to the book of Revelation, we'll have this conversation later on, for just spending time talking about evil in the book of Revelation. But when Jesus, the conquering hero, arrives, and it talks about he's got the sword, it's the sword that is his word, which, which is to say Jesus doesn't have to go swing the weapons around, simply at the word. And Jesus mm-hmm. speaks the word, and just like at creation, Jesus says, you know, God says, let there be light, and light comes into being. Jesus speaks, and the powers of evil are scattered and defeated. Um, so that it's, it's, it's not a, a, a battle that's in question. That's an important piece, and you mm-hmm. see that throughout the Gospels. There's never a point where Jesus turns to the audience and says, if you believe hard enough and say, I do believe in pixies, Tinkerbell will come back to life. It's, <laughs> the, the battle is already won. Jesus mm-hmm. just says, out, and they go out. That, that's, it, it definitely reframes the conversation for us, so that it's not day by day, oh, I wonder if God will win today. Mm-hmm. But the victory is already assured in that sense. And, and for me, and maybe this takes us a little bit deeper into the idea of spiritual warfare and not just who the devil is and how he interacts with, um, how we see him interaction, interacting with God and Jesus throughout scripture. But, um, what, when I'm, when I'm face to face and dealing with what is clearly Satan trying to mess with my business, (laughs) um, it's very comforting for me not, not to feel like I have to come up with some great theological, idea or concept or, or write this great thesis to, mm-hmm. to get the devil to leave mm-hmm. but just the fact that I said no Jesus owns me not you yeah. get away yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a great comfort to me um, so that it's because I know who wins the battle I know who wins in the end yeah and it's yeah. not Satan and that that dramatically changes even how we see our place in the in the big story that this isn't a matter of God saying, oh, man, I'd win, except I don't know if Steve's up for it today. But, like, no, mm-hmm. the, the, the victory is guaranteed. And so there's the joyfulness for us. Again, it's, it's what helps put things in the right perspective, that we don't have to live ruled by fear. Just, you know, we, we, we used that example uh, in our last conversation about being aware that there are deer on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm so afraid of all the stuff that's out there and sort of drive ruled by fear... Um, I won't have the confidence that is required to, say, you know, merge into traffic or park a car or change lane. I mean, there's lots of mm-hmm. things where you have to be not angry or aggressive, but assertive and not afraid. Otherwise, you're going to need more danger on the road. Um, and in a similar way, we're, we're not called to be people who live in ruled by fear of, oh, my goodness, there's a million things to be afraid of. I won't get out mm-hmm. of bed this morning. Um, but to have this confidence of... Um, the the one who has claimed us, who gave his life for us, uh, has overcome the world, and that God's victory comes already at that cross. I mean, that's a really, really important mm-hmm. notion. At the heart of the Christian faith is the victory is already won. It's not we're waiting for the big final battle to, to happen later on. And again, sometimes 
pop Christian theology has misunderstood that and treated yeah. it like, well, the evil won round one at the cross, but the big battle's coming. No, that's completely wrong. The big battle's already won. God won it at the cross and resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's not that that's a defeat. It's the moment that appears to be, or that's, that God's way of winning is to get consumed by death and then come out the other side and break it wide open. But not that, oh, God lost round one and God has to come back with a vengeance this time it's personal or something <laughs> yeah. like that. No, the victory's already won. I think, as you were describing that, that battle at the cross, I think of the old uh, Christian artist Carmen, and he has a song <laughs> right. um, where it's basically, he did a lot of story songs, and this one was like a boxing match between God, mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. Jesus and Satan, and they're in the ring, and you know the, the bell tolls, and they fight and everything, and, and Satan goes, or, or Jesus goes down, and Satan thinks, oh yes, I've defeated them, mm-hmm. and then they start the countdown, which is usually, you know, it works their way up, one, mm-hmm. two, three, out, mm-hmm. and this countdown goes, Ten, nine, mm-hmm. eight, and he works his way down. And Satan's like, "Wait, whoa, hold, t- time up! What, what's going on here?" Right. Um, and and that's the thing that we have as, as Christians is that yeah, the battle's already won. You right. know, it's not. We we know Revelation. You know, and we're, again, we're going to talk about this more in another episode. But um, we know Revelation's in the future, and yet it's already here. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, the idea mm-hmm. that Satan Satan has lost. Satan yeah. will go down. Um, and when I think of, of warfare and, and dealing with Satan, I, I'm going to steal from your tradition, Steve, and I think of Martin Luther when he's up in, in the castle and he's Satan's trying to discourage him from translating um, mm-hmm. scripture into German, and he throws the inkwell that, right. that Luther is famous right. for doing, and he screams out to Satan, I am baptized. Right. Right. You know, just a reminder that you know through his baptism and through Christ's sacrifice on the cross that he's protected from Satan. Yeah, and that the, the, that whole that whole line of Luther's is really powerful for me. That the the gist of it is something like um, he says, you know, I know I don't even have a single good deed to my name, and even even if everything I've ever done is you know tinged by my own sin mm-hmm. and brokenness, I'm baptized, and in my baptism, God who cannot lie has sworn to slay my sin and blot it out. It's this notion. It's it's not in the end. Uh, I'm such a good perfect peach. I'm going to get to heaven, Satan. But it's this God's made the promise. Yes. God's power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's the the really important orientation that uh, the the whole the whole sweep of the Christian story sort of paints. That it's we have confidence, but it's not a confidence grounded in I'm super strong or I'm super powerful or I've got the ability. But the God to whom we belong uh, has already won the victory and mm-hmm. already has claimed us. And also is well aware of all of my failings, shortcomings, and sins, <laughs> ones I haven't even gotten around to yet, as mm-hmm. well as what I've done, and says, but you're mine, you're beloved anyway. And because at the heart of the Christian faith is that God is the one power and that uh, Satan is this sort of lesser created thing, there's no question of whose claim has ultimacy. That mm-hmm. when God says, you belong to me, that I, I, we belong to God. And it's not a question of the that, that uh, God and the devil each have... Uh, uh, possible property right claims over mm-hmm. us that nope this is, this is God's universe so uh, that that's sort of the broad sweep of how Jesus engages with uh, demonic figures throughout the gospels there's a mm-hmm. number of those scenes where Jesus uh, casts out the evil spirits uh, and they all seem to have this awareness of Jesus um, sometimes the, the stories have weird little curious details to them where it's uh, the the Demons go to a herd of pigs and then they drown <laughs> in the lake or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but uh, there's this recurring theme of Jesus has clear power. There's no question of it being a, a, a shouting match or a, a, a who will win, who's stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, they all recognize who Jesus is. Um, and that Jesus seems to connect that casting out of evil 
uh, as of one piece with everything else that, that he does. That, again, the, the, the biblical writers almost treat casting out evil spirits in the same category as they treat the way Jesus cures blindness or heals mm-hmm. sickness. Uh, and again, that's not, that's not necessarily spend time in what, what did they think it was to be possessed by an evil spirit, so much as to say all of these are acts of liberation. Wherever, wherever life is given and people are set free, that's what Jesus is about. So that Jesus doesn't see his mission as, well, there's five unrelated things I do. I speak, I preach, I heal, I cast out demons, and I just you know, do on a mm-hmm. rotating basis. But these are all part of one thing that Jesus has come to do, which is to bring God's reign as opposed to the reign of evil, uh, but also to bring liberation for people wherever that uh, may need to be and whatever they need to be liberated from. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I, I, I guess I hope makes it clear that um, the power and authority of Jesus is also always connected to the way of life of Jesus. You know, yes. we, we don't we, mm-hmm. we don't get the option of bracketing out. Well, I like this part about where Jesus has power over evil spirits. That sounds cool. I don't like where he talks about I should love my neighbor and I actually love my enemy. That I don't <laughs> like. Let's bracket out the morality. And for that matter, there's other folks who are like, well, I like the morality stuff, but I'm kind of scared about the superstitious stuff. But uh, the Gospels present this as all a part of one thing that Jesus is about. He talks mm-hmm. about it often as this is what it's like to bring the reign of God or the kingdom of God. Um, but that it's all really one thing. It's liberating and saving and rescuing from whatever is the need in whatever the situation is. And that's an important piece. That, to, that, that even our conversation about spiritual warfare may at first sound like that's just like this narrow little wedge of the Christian life, but really there's a sense in which it's connected to everything else that we mm-hmm. do. And that in another sense, too, that means every little act that we do or every moment of faithfulness is also a part of the victory that God has already granted in Christ. Um, and that even things that don't look particularly spiritual may well be a part of that, that sort of victory against the powers of evil. Because, again, most of the time, the, a smart devil wouldn't overplay his hand and get us to do something overtly wicked, but a smart evil would do something a little like don't care about your neighbor, or just just mm-hmm. stop caring, or just be apathetic. I mean, like, and and that means every act that refuses to be apathetic, every moment where we refuse to be complacent, every moment where um, graciousness and compassion or the way of Jesus uh, gets gets sway over us instead of the other impulses in us. Those are also part of that victory as well. So you're talking about Jesus bringing liberation. It it takes me back to a couple episodes ago, Steve, when we talked about the year of jubilee yeah. and Jesus and. And him quoting Isaiah and say, you know saying that he's come to set the captives free. And mm-hmm. often in today's world, when we hear that word captive, we th- we think prisoner, like mm-hmm. in, in a jail cell. Right. Um, you know, somebody who's had um, right or wrong is in jail. You know, maybe there's been an injustice done against them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that also goes to this idea of you know the demonic and even. Sure. Um, the demonic holding people back from being able to do what God has called them to do, being being able to be the people that God has called them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus brings about that liberation just as much. And again, in those same verses, he talks about healing the blind and, and right. giving, you know, um, hearing to the deaf. And so, yes, it is just as much of his ministry. And then as Christians, like a call for our ministry too, um, whether priest or laity, uh, clergy or lay, um, to again bring about that liberation to other people mm-hmm. and to ourselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that means, in a sense, I mean, like to to get meta for a minute, like the work of the church 
what is it that we're supposed to be about? Not just inside the walls of church buildings, but what, what's the work of the, mm-hmm. the people of Jesus? In a sense, is as big and broad as whatever it is that gives life and sets people free. I mean, like, that's pretty big and broad. There's lots of ways you can run mm-hmm. with that. And that means, too, that the way uh, communities of Jesus might run with that might look like different things in different places. You know, there are some places where the need is... Um, providing meals for hungry people in the city. And if you live in a community where you don't have a neighborhood around you, but you have a cornfield around you, you might not. it might not be helpful to have the soup kitchen, but you might be the place that has, uh, you know, the after-school program for mm-hmm. the kids, or you might be the place that uh, sends a mission. I mean, like, there's... But that all these are part of the big picture. We're about Jesus' work of speaking and bringing life and setting people free. Uh, and knowing, then, that wherever we are, that might take... Uh, a different shape, and sometimes it looks very religious, sometimes it's very much uh, in the language of we're doing Bible school and we're teaching kids the story about Jesus, and yet at the same time, also part of God's work is things like housing homeless people, that's a part Mm -hmm. of kingdom work as well, Um, and we don't get to play the game of whose ministry is more important or more kingdom-related. It could well be that God's playing a, a game of chess and we're just playing checkers and he's thinking like eight moves ahead, and that the things that don't look like they're very important or don't look very religious or spiritual may well be, you know, have, have mm-hmm. this big, big turning point in somebody's life. Um, and that humility is important, too. It lets us do what we're called to do in this space, in this moment, with the people we're called to, uh, without feeling like, oh, I have to do something more important, or I wish I were doing something more mm-hmm. important for the kingdom. Because uh, what we're about, exactly where we are, may be exactly what we're called to. You know, I think Satan, one of his great ways to, to keep his hand over us is to um, make us feel unworthy, make us feel unwanted. Mm-hmm. And some of the ministries that you just mentioned, you know, soup kitchens or right. my church has a clothing bank and, and those kind of things help bring dignity to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so while it doesn't look like spiritual warfare in the same sense that Jesus did with the, right, with right, the right. demonized um, folks throughout the Gospels, it, it's still a, a sense of bringing about dignity and bringing about life and liberation and putting Satan in place and saying, no, you don't get to tell this person they're, they're worthless. Right. Well, and, and that's just it. I mean, I, there's another line. I'm thinking it, it might even be Luther or Karl Barth. I can't remember. But the, the gist is that there are two basic sins. There's there's the heroic sins of pride, which is thinking too much of ourselves. And the flip side is despair or, or too mm-hmm. little. And that, again, a smart evil being wouldn't necessarily leave fingerprints that it's a demonic uh, voice making somebody feel like they're worthless, but just leave the suggestion. So again, mm-hmm. like you say, if somebody's in that place of I'm nothing, I'm not important, I've been beaten, I've lost my job, I have no value, that kind of thing, like you say, they might not be saying, well, I think the devil's at work in my life. Whether or not anybody senses it, the work of helping folks to uh, regain that sense of being infinitely mm-hmm. beloved and precious children of God, that's work that's about kingdom work. And you're right, it may, it may not look like, uh, at first blush, it might not look like that's um, uh, about God's work, yeah, that just looks like, that's just helping people. Well, yeah, duh. <laughs> that's, that's an, in, a very, in, a, in a very important sense, that's what God's about. And anywhere that it's about recovery or uh, liberating people from, from, yeah, from, from being less than human, yeah. And we have to realize that, you know, not everything that deals with the demonic is exorcist-like, right, right, right. you know, workings. Again, you know, bringing dignity to people and just helping people out. Yeah, you're you're not making head spin and you're not making people <laughs> right, puke no green things. No and, um, but yeah, you you are battling Satan because you are showing somebody that they are loved and they are worthy. 
um, and teaching them not to believe the lies that the devil has been telling them possibly for years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and th- that's another place, too, that, that reminds me that the presence of evil also takes root in us. That there comes a point after you hear it whispered to you enough from other people, you come to start repeating it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that it's no longer, uh, is it my fault that I believe I'm nothing, or is it somebody else's fault they kept telling me? At some point, it doesn't matter where it started, but what's needed is how do you help somebody regain that sense of you were infinitely beloved as a child of God? Um, and at that point, the ability to, to, to have that light come on is a victory against all. It's, it's against it's whatever mm-hmm. part of me is part of the problem, but also whatever external forces brought me to that point. Um, yeah, that, that, that's part of God's victory, too, as it shows up in people's lives, too. So I, I, I'm glad you mentioned this, that this is, this is very, very much boots on the ground, sort of our daily life kind mm-hmm. of stuff, because it's very easy to treat this conversation about spiritual warfare as... Um, either something that should make me so, so afraid I can't get out of bed, or it's, well, that's just reserved for, uh, yeah, people in the movies like in The Exorcist, or that's, you know, future stuff like in the Book of Revelation, does not going to bother me, mm-hmm. uh, but instead to recognize that every moment of every day, uh, we have the capacity to live out of the victory God has already won, and to be a part of that ongoing work of announcing to the world that God's, uh, God's victory is already won, um, and speaking to people who need to be reminded that they are of infinite worth and beloved of God. Mm. That's part of what that kingdom work, that, that victory looks like. And that again reframes that our job as the people of Jesus is to be people who announce the victory is already won, not that we're soldiers in the fight and that God says, it's up to you guys to fight this one. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'll win without you. Um, but it's the other way around. We're the people announcing to the world the war is already over. It's, uh, there's that line from that we sing at Advent, this, this hymn, um, Comfort, comfort now my people. Um, and the one line goes, um, and it's borrowing from, from the book of Isaiah, but the, the one line goes, tell them that their war is over, um, God will reign forever. But that, that notion that the war is over um, is, is in some sense part of what the, the Christian calling is, that our, our calling isn't to say, uh, if only enough of us get together, we can win the battle. The battle has been won, and our calling is to tell the world, because you can lay down your arms in a sense, mm-hmm. that God's victory is already won. Yeah. Well, there's more stuff for us to talk about. Uh, we'll definitely have to engage more biblical stuff and eventually uh, the practical nuts and bolts. Okay, how do I live my life differently in light of this whole conversation? Um, but uh, the clock is against us this time right now. Uh, whatever other forces may be out there, the clock is against us. But we'll pick up with conversation again next time. Talk to you later.